0: We here at Bible Fellowship Church, if you're new with us, we are a people who just love Jesus. Uh, we have found life in him. Uh, we, we know him, uh, and we want to know him more. We follow him, and we want to follow him more closely, and we seek to serve him with our lives and do that more abundantly as we walk with him more throughout our life. Uh, we are a people who are not perfect. Not a single one of us here are perfect. But we know a perfect God who has perfectly loved us um, and is perfectly walking through life with us uh, and walking through the ups and downs of life and our failures in life and using all of that as we trust him and learn to trust him more to mold us into people who represent who he is to a world that is in desperate need of him. Um, and so we sing songs like, uh, by your spirit I will rise from the ashes of defeat, uh, because that is true. God is a resurrecting God. He's in the business of taking dead things and bringing them to life. He's the one who can bring vegetation out of a desert, um, and uh, he can take the brokenness of our life and make it into something absolutely Beautiful. So we gather together. Uh, as you walk in, you see a sign that says, "Where faith and fellowship create a family," and we hope that to be the case here—not a perfect family, but one that represents who God is. A taste of a taste in part of what it's going to be like when we are with Him for eternity. Uh, we're not waiting for God to come back in a sense that we're not going to be active. Uh, we're going to wait with Him while we wait with wait for Him to return. Uh, We are going to see him work in us. And we're going to be a people that extend grace to those who come here. uh, Because we are in deep need of grace and we've received the fullness of grace in Jesus Christ already. So um, with that, we want to know Jesus. We want to follow him. We want to serve him. And we seek to do that by gathering ourselves around his word. And so we try to go through books of the Bible just to see what he says to his people. Um, and today we are starting a new series. Uh, we are starting a new series in the Old Testament. Um, but we're going to start a new series in the Old Testament in a book that may be unfamiliar for some of you. Uh, it's a book called Haggai. Some people may say Haggai. Um, it is Haggai. H-A-G-G-A-I. Uh, it's a book. If you're not familiar where that is, where we're going to be, um, it is Towards the end of the Old Testament, so you could go to Matthew, turn backwards, that's Malachi, um, and then Zechariah, and then Haggai. Uh, He is one of three prophets from post-exilic time. So what does that mean? This is post-exile. So if you're not familiar with the story of scripture, I just need to give you a little bit of background real quick. God called a people to be his representatives through his through a a man named uh, Abraham. This people had a long journey. Uh, They were called to a place that God had prepared so that God's name would be magnified and glorified and that that people would become a blessing to all the nations. And so God selected this man and created this people for himself so that the world may be blessed through them by God. And God rescued this nation out of bondage of Egypt. He brought them across the Red Sea. He walked with them in the wilderness and carried them into the land that he promised to them. He was faithful to them. He, uh, he made their enemies drive away from them. He gave them his law. He gave them his way of life. Um, he was calling his people to trust him and obey him. Um, and he and he promised them, if you do, things will go well. Um, if you don't, then things are not going to go well. Well, throughout the history of Israel, it was just one uh, detraction after another. Um, and really, if you look at the big picture, of that that kind of is a life of the Christian life. God rescues and redeems us, and we are consistently we consistently forget what He's done. And when we forget what He's done, we start going after other things to find the whatever, we're, whatever we feel like we need. We're finding, trying to find that in other things rather than the source of Jesus. And so as a process of that, God disciplined his child because he's a loving father. He does not allow his children to go and do destructive things continually. He loves his children and he steps in and wants to, with his discipline, is not punitive, right? It is the restorative He's trying to restore something to his people. So as a product of that, God allowed a a wicked nation uh, to come and to conquer Judah, conquer Israel. He allowed this nation to come in and to decimate God's temple that God had built. To be a place where his people worshipped him. Uh, to be a representation of who he is. He's holy. He's righteous. He's worthy of being honored. I mean, if you were with us last week, he he is glorious. So glorious that none of us can actually add to his glory. We simply do our part to reveal it. And God allowed a a pagan nation to come and to decimate the temple and carry away his people in 586 B.C. That nation was the Babylonians. And God's people were in captivity with the Babylonians. But he promised that he would bring them back. And he promised that uh, through, which is incredible, through Jeremiah. He promised a, a guy named Cyrus would be risen up. And that guy named Cyrus would bring his people back to Israel. And you know what happened? A Persian... King named Cyrus said, the Lord has talked to me and I'm supposed to send his people back to go build his temple in Jerusalem. And so he sent his people back and this miracle of what happened, which doesn't make sense. Why would you send a nation you just, con- was been conquered back to a place where they can rebuild their temple and then rebuild their strategic military position? But he sends them back. And God works through history to bring his people back to Israel. And some amazing things happen. The temple was cleared. Um, There was money brought in to rebuild this temple. I mean, it was signed off on by a pagan government. Do it. We'll help you out. And they clear the temple. They build an altar. They sacrifice to the Lord, reinstitute the sacrifices to the Lord that God had called for in his word. Namely in Leviticus. um, (laughs) And the people are celebrating the festivals of the Lord again. It's amazing. And within one year, all the construction stopped. Because there was opposition. There was opposition by people who were dwelling in the land. Not only that, Cyrus dies, a new king comes up, and someone says gives a report to that new king that was false, and that new king halted the building of the temple. So the people are sitting, waiting 16 years, not building the temple of God. And this man, Haggai, first person to speak to God's people after their return, to call them back to the mission that he had, that God had set them out on. Um, Haggai is a small book. It's actually the second smallest book in the Old Testament. Um, Obadiah, if you're wondering, is the other smaller, the smaller book. Um, but Haggai, uh, as one commentator said, in spite of his short duration of his ministry and the fact that his book is second smallest in the OT, Old Testament, he may be considered as one of the great figures in Israel. In a time of deep decline and discouragement, his single-minded, ardent preaching again gave the people of God new perspectives on their relationship with God and on the promised blessings. And encouraging the people to rebuild the temple, Haggai gave them a new spiritual center without which they would have perished as the people of God in the vortex of history. So why are we looking at Haggai? Well, because I think it's an encouragement to all of us, because it tells of how good our God is, how gracious he is with us, and how he is able to work through the mess of life around us and is simply calling his people to be faithful in the middle of where he's placed them, and he does amazing things through that. So I'm excited for what God has for us here in Haggai. And so we're going to start. We're going to look at for chapter 1. We're going to be in verses 1 through 11. Um, so if you have your Bible, open with me. I'm going to read and then we're going to go through this. Um, it says, In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet to Zer- Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, And Joshua, son of Jezedek, a high priest, thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet. Is it a time for you to dwell, you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have so much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them in a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it. And that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much, and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it to my, uh, brought it home, I blew it away. Why? Declares the Lord of hosts, because my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies yourself um, with his own house, therefore the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce, and I have called for a drought on the land and the hills, and on and in the hills. On the grain, the new wine, the oil, and what the ground breaks for, brings forth, O oh man and beast, and on all their labors. See, Haggai starts out with kind of a depressing tone. If you read it one way. But it also comes out with some of an encouraging tone. If you read it another way. It's depressing because you read what's happening to these people, right? The, the poetry is, is awesome, right? You, you eat, but you never have your fill. You, you clothe, but you're never warm. Uh, you gather your money, and you, but you put it into a bag with holes, and they're experiencing inflation, right? Um, the people are looking to be filled with something, but it's not filling them. It's a sad time. It's a hard time. It's a desperate time. Even when you read this, right, the second, the, the inscription, the top, the second year of Darius the king in the sixth month on the first day of the month. What does that tell you? Right? All throughout the rest of the Old Testament, most of the Old Testament, the time is, is, is set by a king of Israel or a king of Judah. We start this first thing out highlighting the fact that they are still under control of another government. Although they're back in the land, they're still somewhat in exile. They're still under the authority of a king and they have little to no control over what goes on in their life. But it's encouraging. Why? Because God speaks to his people. God is speaking to his people. The one who made everything, created everything. The one whom these people know 16 years earlier, 18 years earlier, spoke to the king of Persia to move them back to Israel. Jerusalem. That same king was speaking now. In fact, Haggai is is full of references to the word of the Lord speaking. It's one of the main things. Like over 27, maybe 29 times, the same concept of thus says the Lord, thus says the Lord, this is the word of the Lord in two chapters, 27 times. Haggai's clear, this is the word of the Lord, the God of the universe is speaking to you, knows where you are, knows what you're going through, and is calling you out to something better than what you're experiencing. That's encouraging. God speaks to his people. Now, in the second year of Darius the king, What's really cool about this book here is we know exactly when this happened. Because we have the records of the Persians. We have how Israel mapped out their records. And when you take the records of the Persians and you line it up with how they had their calendar... Different type of system, right? Moon system, and then a different system for the Persians, but we're able to look it together. And where is it? 520 BC, on August uh, 20 like 29th. August 29th, 520 BC. New moon. Which is awesome. Because these people were still celebrating God's festivals. They had not finished building the temple, but they're still doing what God had asked them to do. And in Numbers 28, 11, God asked his people at the beginning of your months, you shall offer burnt offerings to the Lord, two bulls from the herd and one ram, seven male lambs old without a blemish. So at the beginning of the month, right here, new moon, beginning of the month, they're all there. Everyone's there to hear, and God speaks to Haggai, and Haggai brings that word to his people at the time when they're all gathered, all 50,000 of them. The word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel and Joshua. Thus says the Lord of hosts, These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. God spoke to his people. Haggai was his prophet. Haggai was not trying to manipulate these people from his own ends. Haggai was simply carrying what God wanted to his people, and God wanted to speak to his people. Why? Because they had misplaced their priorities. God's people were prioritizing their comfort over the mission that he had given them. God's people were prioritizing their comfort over the mission that he had given them. If you're a note taker, this is a bullet point, which would be on the screen if I had a PowerPoint, but I don't have one. God's people were prioritizing their comfort, their pleasure over God's mission for them. Thus says the Lord of the hosts to Zerubbabel and Joshua. These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. What was happening at this time? One, we notice the leaders that God had set up were not the ones leading. These people are the ones saying it's not the right time. These people were not doing the work that they were called to. Joshua and Zerubbabel included in that. But the whole group of people were going, nope, it's not going. And the leaders were following along with that. And they're looking at it and they're saying, nope, we're not going to do that. We're going to instead make ourselves safe first and secure first before we go and we build the temple. Now, these people were sent for a mission, for a purpose. This is, this is the decree of, of, uh, of Cyrus. You can find it in the first book, of the, on, in Ezra, the first chapter. First three verses, actually. In the first year of Cyrus, the king of Persia, by, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be filled, fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom, and also put it in writing. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judea. Whoever, in Judah, whoever is among you of all his people may his God be with him and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. He is the God who is in Jerusalem. What was the mission? Go back and build his house. Go do it. What were they doing? Building their own houses, right? He says, then the word of the Lord came, verse 3, by hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? He's using language to say you're not just dwelling in houses, you're dwelling in nice houses. It's not just like a temporary shelter that you put up, you're putting paneling on. They're calling Joanna Gaines out here to make everything a farmhouse, you know. Got some shiplap on the wall. Right? What are, you, what are you doing? God, the sovereign God of the universe, moved the heart of the king of the most powerful nation on the earth at the time. Persia ruled everything. And God moved in his heart to bring his people out of their desperate situation back to where he had originally wanted them to be for the purpose that he originally had for them. To build him a house, to make him a name, to show his glory to the earth. And the pagan kings sent them there. And they're not doing it, Right? And for 16 years. Now, some of you say, well, that's a little unfair. Because some of you have read Ezra. uh, 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 Sorry, Ezra, not Ezariah. There's too many Ayahs in the. Some of you have read Ezra. And you know what happened. Right after they started building it, they went into opposition. There were people who were opposing them. Making it difficult. As soon as the foundation was laid... Attack, pressure, difficulty. Not only that, these people got to sleep somewhere, right? I mean, God's not asking His people to work night and day, um, not sleep, not have a Sabbath, not eat. They got to grow crops, right? This is there's no Wawa's in the ancient Near East. I don't know if you know that, right? Everything has to come out of the ground. Everything has to be it's it's difficult life. God knows all of that. But God had promised to provide for his people if they put him first. Right? You could spend, this is. I'm not going to read all this, you should go there later this week. Read Deuteronomy 28, the blessings and the cursing. Blessed should be your kneading bowl. Blessed shall be your going in and coming out. Your enemies will rise against you. They will go away, flee away in seven ways. If you will keep my companions and obey me. That's not like this, this, you must do this type of thing. He's trying to speak to a reality. I will protect you if you follow in my ways. You will have opposition, but I will be with you. But these people should have known Psalm 23. Everyone knows Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He restores my soul. Yet though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me. Where? In the presence of my enemies. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Right? In the presence of my enemies, you prepare a place for me to sit and lounge and eat. And these people who, you know what? Are consistent. God's people are consistent. Forgot who God was forgot what their mission was, Was lo- were looking with what they saw with their eyes, and then going, you know what? The better thing for me to do is to make myself secure first, then out of my security, I can go and build God's house. It makes sense, right? When you're in an airplane, you're supposed to put your mask on first before you help someone else, because if I don't do that, then I'm not helping anyone. But God, no. You seek, First, my kingdom and my righteousness. See, the problem is that they were seeking their comfort over their mission. And when they sought the comfort over their mission, they, it led to the loss of both the mission and their comfort. They'd misplaced their priorities. Right? If they had gone after the mission, they probably would have gotten the comfort. But they put the comfort first, and they lost both of them. Because they're still dwelling in a place where the temple's not built. Right, It took four years after this, after this prophecy, it took four years to finish the building of the temple. Four years. They've been doing this for 16. They lost what they were supposed to do. And not only that, they were... Shoving money in a bag with a hole. They're planting crops, and they were coming up and disappearing. They were doing everything they can, all the wise moves, and still coming up hungry and empty. I mean, God's people are, it's, it's, it's a pattern. It's like I said, they're consistent. God's people consistently go after things that don't actually fill. This was what Jeremiah was saying to the, to the people, Jeremiah 2 My 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 people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves—broken cisterns that can hold no water. They took God's primary place in their life and they moved it out for their own pleasure. They were receiving the result of that, which God has told his people over and over and over and over again. If you're just consistent to look, what are the warnings? I was joking about Leviticus, and now I'm bringing it up a couple times. Leviticus 26, 18 through 20. And in spite of this, if you will not listen to me, then I will discipline you again sevenfold for your sins, and I will break the pride of your power. And I will make your heavens like iron and your earth like bronze. And your strength shall be spent in vain. For your land shall not yield its increase, and the trees of the land shall not yield their fruit. What was happening for the people here? No rain. Sky is like iron, the ground is not producing, ground is like bronze. What should 16 years of this? It took them a while. And God's so loving, kind, and compassionate that he didn't just let them continue doing that. He actually spoke to Him, Hey, guys, listen. You're doing something and it's not working. You're following a path and it's not working for you. You think you're going to produce peace in your life and it's not working because you can't have peace without me. If I'm not the center of your life, then your life is not going to be what you desire it to be. Wake up. Right? Even it's, 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 when you read Hebrew, it, the, when you know the Hebrew words, it, the Bible just comes to life because it's, he's speaking this, just like, in the end of this passage here, right? Because my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies with himself with his own house, therefore the heavens above you have withheld their dew, and where earth, earth withheld its produce. Um, and I have called a drought on the land, and the hills, and grain, and new wine, and oil, and ground, which brings forth man and beast, and all their labors. Right? Um, when you looked for much, behold, it came to little, and when you brought it home, I blew it away. He's using words here, right? You left the temple in ruin, and I'm bringing a drought to you. In the Hebrew, you left my temple in Horeb, in ruin, and I'm bringing you a drought, Horeb. You don't see the, the connection here, people. You've neglected me. Now, just to take a step aside, I want you to understand these were the right people. God had called these people. These people had acted in faith in what they wanted to do. They came from Persia, they came from all the comfort, from their homes, their markets. You know, it's, it's nice when you have markets and you can not have to provide everything that you need out of the ground. They left that and journeyed from Persia, Babylon, all the way to Israel. To not knowing what they'd walk into. There's no social media. There's no news. I don't know what's over there. All I know, it's ruined. And they go there. 50,000 of them. Which is not all the people that were deported to ba- to Babylon. There's a fraction of the people who were deported to Babylon from to Babylon. Many stayed. These people walked and left with faith. They desired what God wanted for them. They saw God do amazing things. In fact, they gave to the Lord out of out of everything they had so that the temple would be, be rebuilt. And Ezra 2, 2 6, verse 69, um, it says that they gave according to their ability, they gave to the treasury to work 61,000 derricks of gold, which you know exactly what that is, right? 5,000 minas of silver and 100 priest garments. Well, just, just the gold alone, that's around 1,100 pounds of gold. Today's money, 30 million dollars. From 50,000 people, $30 million was given to the building of the Lord, the house of the Lord. They were the right people. They, they were the remnant of God's people. They were in the right place. They were there. They've, they've already made the foundation. They cleared it. It took a year. They cleared it. They built the altar. They're passionate. You don't, you don't do that without a sense of desire for God. I mean they even had the right motive. They they wanted to build God's temple. But they got distracted. They got the wrong priorities when conflict came. And as so they lost the experience of the blessing of God on what he was calling them to. Here's the main principle: God's people cannot expect to experience God's blessing if they're not putting God first in their life. God's people cannot expect to have, receive experience God's blessing if they're not putting God first in their life. God loves His people. Cares for Israel, cared for, cares for so much so he he spoke to them, and not only did they, he gave them a solution. Right, they had misplaced priorities. What was his solution? Consider your ways. Right? Literally, in the Hebrew, it means set your heart on the way. Set your heart on the way. Consider what you're doing. Reorient your life. Go to the hills and bring wood to build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, thus says the Lord. What's the solution? Is it God standing up there going, how terrible of a follower are you? And I did all this stuff for you. Man, you can't even... You can't even just do a simple task. No. Says I'm trying to discipline you here and I'm trying to get your attention but you're not listening so let me speak to you through this guy who we don't even really know that much about Haggai only that his name means my festival. I'm going to speak to you. I want to call to you. I want to tell you what to do. Stop what you're doing and go back to what you were called to. Stop You're prioritizing of your own comfort and go back to prioritizing the mission that I have given you. Stop seeking your own pleasure and work for my pleasure. Go into the hills, gather wood, bring it back that I may take pleasure and that I may be glorified. Now, this is something that would say, well, how could God do this? People, some people could say, how could God do that? That seems selfish. Why does God get to have what he wants, and why don't we get to have what we want? Well, go online and look at our, the sermon from last week, because the reality is there is only one God, and if there is only one God, then that one who created all things is the one who gets to decide how things are ordered. And he knows what's best. In fact, when he is pl- pleased, which um, it's going to take a long time for me to explain that, but when he is glorified, we actually receive the most pleasure. Because we were created to glorify him. When he is honored in our life and put forward as first, we actually receive Everything that we've desired, wholeness, peace, everything that we're looking for this world to fill is found in him. So, what does that mean for us? I haven't said anything about the church here. There's a temptation to look at this and say, Well, guys, you haven't been giving enough money to the church. You haven't been focusing um, enough on the church. There's a temptation to go, well, look at what's happening in the broad American church. Look at all this stuff there. They have obviously lost their mission. But that's not necessarily helpful for us. Right? Here's the principle that we come to the scriptures with. God, what is this saying about me? If I want to change the world, I change here first. And then in concentric circles around me to my ability. I cannot deal with the nebulous American church. What I can deal with is whether or not I'm prioritizing God in my life today. Right, And the the imagery here, the metaphor here, the connection to us, the temple was laid, the foundation was laid for these people. You can almost look, they're, they're redeemed people. And they're stumbling along the way. How many times in the New Testament do we see Paul writing to people who have stumbled along the way? Oh Galatians, who's bewitched you? You started in the right path, but you veered off. Right. Shh. Does this talk about God building his temple? Yes. Where does God dwell now? In his church, his people who are both individuals, but also connected to a greater body. And when I deal with what's here, it necessarily changes how I deal with those who I'm in contact with. Right, we've, how many people have heard about what's happening in Asbury? Right, how many people had just heard about Asbury the first time in their life? Didn't even know the place existed. But as far as I know, still, if you don't know, uh, these people since the, uh, a week ago from last Wednesday, 13 days straight, 14 days, I, I I'm, I'm not a mathematician. Have been worshiping the Lord and praying and giving testimony night and day in a chapel at a Christian university. And thousands of people from all over are coming to this place with no big names, no no one doing no publicity really. Actually, they're anti publicity. They told Fox News, Go away. I don't we don't want you here. In a polite way. This is a move of God calling college students back to putting him primary in his life. That's a foundation being laid. But that doesn't last forever here. It will then, right? Heaven is a place where we are worshiping nonstop of the Lord. But at some point, those students have to go back to class and write a paper. At some point, those students have to go and get a job. At some point, those students are going to be back with the family members that caused so many issues in their life. And they're going to have a choice to make. Do I continue building the body of God the way that he wants it built? Do I remain the one who is humble, poor in spirit, seeking mercy, hunger and thirsting for righteousness? Am I going to pray for those who persecute against me? Am I going to love my enemies? Am I going to take time to look at the log in my own eye first before I start pointing out the speck in my brother's eye? Right. This is the building of the body of Christ. And we can look at this. We can start paring down. How does it all relate? Go to the woods, gather logs. What is people's God, what God's people called to do? Go out and gather other people. But there's, there's one mission for the church. There's tons of churches with all different mission statements. They all say the same thing, make disciples. And if they don't say that, then they're not a church. Don't go there. We are here to make disciples. We are here to help people know who Jesus is, experience salvation in him, and walk faithfully before him. We are here to walk with people who are stumbling and helping them to grow to maturity and what they believe and how they live, so they're not tossed back and forth by the by everything that's thrown at them. We're here to, to be a people who don't react to people who are attacking us, but trust the Lord in the process. And look, every move of God in our life will always come with opposition in it. The building of the temple there, opposition. Me waking up in the morning and reading the word, seeking the Lord, opposition. Me reading something of what the Lord has asked me to do today, and then going into a situation where I actually have to follow through, Opposition. But all of those places are choices where I can choose your glory, Lord, your will, Lord, or my will. What you want, Lord, or what I want. And that's not a choice that I can make for you. And it's not a choice that any of us would say we make perfectly. I'm not perfect. but God is compassionate. <laughs> God speaks to us. God sometimes disciplines us. And maybe what's going on, in your, I mean, I'm not saying this, but there's a lot of good, faithful people here. I am consistently, consistently impressed at what the Lord is doing through each of you. The amount of service in this church, the amount of love, In this church, the amount of grace, the amount of desire to go and do what God wants, it's awesome. And a sermon like this is really hard to preach because you know that when you preach it, you're going to have some people who are doing way more than they're they're required to and then feel like they're guilty and need to do more. That's not what this is. This is a sermon to say for you there, if you have prioritized the Lord Way to go. Keep building. If you've been floating along in your Christian life, not engaging, not seeking, if your discussions and your thoughts are more about your house or the next project or your bank account or really inflation or who's in the government or whatever it is, you may be misplacing your priorities. That's not to say that we should not have an opinion or look for helping people, right? There's a lot of wicked things going on and God needs his people stepping up to save and rescue other people. But if I find myself procrastinating at every single time I have resistance in my life, then I really have to ask the question, is my comfort More important than God's desire? Is my comfort more important than God's desire? Am I ruled by what I want rather than what God desires? What is easy, what is expedient, what avoids conflict? and we could go in a lot of different directions. But I want to end here. May the Lord do what He's doing in Asbury. May He do that in all of His church. May it not just be something we're seeing in song, but in a heart posture that His people again Awaken to the mission and the joy that he has for you. The battle that you have every day. And may Isaiah 26, 8 be a true statement of us. In the path of your judgments, O Lord, we wait for you. For your name and remembrance remembrance are desire of our soul. May we put him where he should be. May we focus on what he desires. May we continue to build his church together. And may we see him work in a mighty way. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your son. I thank you for your patience and your kindness. Lord, I thank you for your Holy Spirit who speaks to each one of us because we're all coming to you from different places. Those who are weary and have been working and need rest, Lord, and those who have been asleep at the wheel. Lord, we desire to be a people who know you deeply and follow you closely and serve you with a passion and a zeal for your name and your renown. Lord, comfort us who need comfort in. Open the eyes of those who need open. Lord, set us forward in the path and the work that you have for us. And Lord, bless it. We trust you and praise you in your name. Amen.